just basically figured that we kind of just spent too much and we were, you know, we're kind of you know, running out of customers or running out of people that we were going to appeal to. Hey, my name is Felix Tia, and I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs to share their experience and practical advice for growing a successful e-commerce business. In this episode, you'll learn how to make it crystal clear the problem your product solves, how to translate your ad into different languages, and how to create an effective landing page. Today, I'm joined by Andy Bedell from Keysmart. Keysmart is the smartest keychain ever. It organizes your keys so they won't annoy you anymore. It was starting in 2013 and based out of Chicago. Welcome, Andy. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So yeah, tell us a bit more about the, the product itself. What is this keychain? Uh, it sounds kind of, it's kind of somewhat strange to uh, explain without seeing it, but it, uh, basically it's like a pocket, you can think of it as like a pocket knife for your keys, but a pocket knife that you can take apart and it's kind of modular. So you can put uh, your regular keys inside as plus uh, things like bottle openers, screwdrivers. And now we have a, like a built-in tile location tracker uh, built into it. Uh, but I guess um, the, really the, the way it started was it uh, was just a solution to simplify um, your bulky, you know, the that bulky mess of keys. So to take like the big jangly mess of keys that you have and it, to organize it into a like a nice, neat fashion that looks kind of sleek. Um, so that's, basically, that's kind of what it is. <laughs> Got it. So you're the director of marketing over at KeySmart, and can you tell us a little bit more about the origin story? Where did the idea originally come from? Yeah. Um, so the, our founder, Michael Tunney, um, he was an engineer in Chicago. He was working. Um, for basically uh, robotics companies that make the make the robots that make cars, um, so he had a strong background in, in uh, like engineering, and he got the idea be- for a KeySmart because he was moved into a new apartment um, and had like I don't know if you I think you live in New York, but if uh, if you live in apartments, you end up getting sometimes like five or six keys for one apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, so Michael got all these keys and thought, you know, wow, this is like a big, big bulky mess of keys, and he couldn't really um, fix the key situation. And he got the idea for a like a key organizer that looked like a you know a Swiss style pocket knife, um, and then he basically uh, uh, made the thing himself. He went and like CNC'd it himself, um, did all his like product photography um, and launched it on Kickstarter. And uh, he launched it at night on Kickstarter and woke up in the morning and he was already at like $14,000 in sales. So it was, it just went completely viral. It was an organic uh, Kickstarter back in 2013, back in the very early days of Kickstarter. Got it. So the company started in 2013 through that Kickstarter. Tell us when you joined and what, what's your background? Uh, I joined in 2015. I'd helped out a little bit. Um, I'm friends with the the owner. So I went to grade school with uh, with the owner's brother. We were in the same grade. And then the owner was two years older than me at a small grade school in the Chicagoland area. But uh, so I knew when they, they launched it. And I, you know, truthfully, I thought it was a good idea. But I, you know, I didn't really think it would be like a huge viral success. Um, so they told me about it. I thought, oh, that's cool. I shared it on Facebook. Um, and then fast forward, I, I was, I was working in advertising at the university of Chicago and they had some questions about, you know, how Google analytics work, how do UTM tags work? Um, so I had, uh, my CEO, Michael over and basically just showed him, uh, just a little bit more about Google analytics, Google analytics and pointed him in the right direction towards the Google analytics, uh, the, the, the academy, um, 
the Analogs Academy. Um, and from there, about in 2015, uh, they had like a need for a, like an advertiser. Um, they had someone running ads, but they weren't really all that effective. And so I kept kind of bugging them, asking them if, uh, you know, they would let me run some ads for them for free. Um, and we ran some video ads and really had a lot of success. And uh, the next thing you know, I quit my full-time job and was working for Keysmart. Got it. So looking back on it, when you're an observer from the outside, what do you think made it take off the way that it did? Um, you know, it's the, the, the design it was a really cool design. Uh, it was really kind of like the, an aha moment. Um, you know, people see it, um, they, they understand it visually pretty quickly and they're like, Oh, wow. I should have thought of that. You know, and people even do write that on our posts all the time on our, on our, our ads and our posts, like, Oh, this is your, you know, they'll tag with their friend and they'll say, Oh, this was your idea. Did, weren't you saying something about like this? Um, and so it was really just kind of a, that aha moment and it was very shareable. We used to get so many shares on our ads, um, you know, when we first started. And so I think it was just the, the, it was just very visual, um, was very, you know, understandable just from a picture on Facebook because when it started, you know, video ads weren't very popular or anything, or you couldn't even run video ads. So they were just, you know, people would just see the image. Um, and you know, even, I guess we didn't even run any ads for the Kickstarter campaign. So it really is just like that visual understanding of a, you know, a classic problem that is the bulky keychain that, you know, no one really had taken a stab at, at, you know, changing. Uh, and so it was kind of like a, you know, I don't want to make it sound like we're Apple, I can create the iPhone, but it was kind of like a paradigm shift in the way that you really think about carrying keys. Yeah. I'd like the, that you, what you're getting at is that the people, the people that saw the ad or saw the image of the product, their immediate reaction was like, wow, this should exist, right? It's almost like, why doesn't this exist already? Because it's such a, a pervasive problem. And then when you have that, people just feel like sharing it. And that's where it kicks off virality. So what you, you mentioned that one of the ways that you're able to kind of resonate with the, the potential customers so, so well was that it, the problem was very clear in your marketing today or even back then. Like, how do you make sure that you are presenting the problem that you're trying to solve front and center? Uh, you know, I guess that, so that honestly, it's been kind of a uh, double edged sword. Um, so to start, it was very, just, just very, very easy to, um, you know, advertise it and show off your value propositions. It sounds kind of foolish, but you know, our main value propositions for the for the original KeySmart were, you know, um, save some space in your pocket. You know, get rid of that bulky mess of keys so that you will, you know, no longer jingle while you walk or poke yourself in the leg. And you know, those actually really resonated with people. Just you know, the idea of like sitting down and poking yourself in the leg, or you know, jingling and waking up your son or your daughter, or you know, uh, you know, whatever, coming back late at night. Um, resonated with people but we did struggle we you know as we you know if we started to receive like at see ad fatigue um and you know with our original ads like how do we you know how do we dig deeper into you know deeper value propositions um so like some you know some brands have the opposite where it's a little bit more difficult to explain but then they have kind of um you know they they really hit home on like you know helping people emotionally or helping them look better or this or that so it's um but that being said you're constantly, you know, creating new videos and trying to figure out new ways to communicate the problem. Um, and it really is just, you know, those tried and true problems and trying to, you know, really just demonstrate them in like the easiest way possible so people can understand it, um, you know, right away. So it really is just these demonstration, these demonstrative type of ads that have been the most success, successful in, in explaining our product rather than when we've tried to reach um, for more, you know, um, 
you know, untangible, intangible like value propositions. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. How did you know that the, there was ad fatigue rather than people just didn't want the product anymore? Uh, I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, there's a, the, so the, the overwhelming majority of people that I've ever met, you know, have no idea what a key smart is. Um, you know, we might be one of the, you know, at one point we were one of the bigger brands on Shopify Now Shopify's grown so much, but like back in 2016, when we were really rolling, uh, you know, there was this one study that was showing like the top uh, web traffic sites and we were like number 53. Um, and so at the time we were, you know, we were pretty, you know, we were pretty big and we were kind of pushing the limits. But at the same time, we were relatively unknown in the in the world as a whole. You know, you'd ask people, they'd say, you know, I've never heard of that. Um, but at the same time, our Facebook ads just weren't getting the same lift as they were before. So it was, you know, it's really hard to know, OK, well, what? They were getting the same lift as they were before, but we we were able to internationalize. And also, whenever we would go like go to different countries, we'd give the U.S. a little bit of rest. Um, so I kind of just went down. You know, I saw I talked to my Facebook ad rep, um, and I said, you know, the, you're only working in the U.S., so why don't you try and go everywhere? And it was pretty sh- easy to ship because it's it's kind of small. Um, mm-hmm. So I started basically just going to every country, and we were seeing a lot of success pretty much all over the world. Um, and then as we gave the United States some time to rest, we would see that the United States would come back as well. And so we just basically figured that we'd kind of just spent too much and we were, you know, we're kind of you know, running out of customers or running out of people that we were going to appeal to. It works to a point. And eventually you kind of hit a breaking point where, you know, as many times as you try and, you know, refresh your lookalike audiences and you'd refresh this or that, um, you know, change the seed audience, change the amount of time on the seed audience. Um, it just stops working. And then once you kind of span the globe, there's, you know, not as much to do. You, you kind of have to start playing with creative and trying to figure out, you know, it, are there different value propositions that I can go down into that are going to be effective? Or do I need to go out and like take my original value propositions and figure out new ways to really explain them, uh, to really, you know, uh, to explain them to people who didn't maybe weren't paying attention the first time or explain it in a different way that matters to them. It might even be just like trying to figure out how can I create a video that has a, a new hook in the beginning um, that can really just like get people to stop and watch. Got it. So you, you saw the that you when you try to change the targeting it wasn't really working so it wasn't the audience itself but when you did stop advertising for a little bit and started back up then people were more receptive to the ad and then eventually decide okay we have to change the creative change the messaging change the the hook and that's what started to work for you so how do you go down down that level because it sounds like at first you guys were it's very easy to demonstrate the value proposition because it was a very practical solution to a very easy understood problem but then once that that creative that angle was tapped out you had to dig deeper what does that mean what does it mean to go deeper than that well it's just you know if you're doing research on your product uh you're going to find that there's going to be a lot of different use cases that people you know reasons that people love your product right so you'll you'll start to get emails and people will list all different kinds of reasons that they liked your product um and if you were doing if you're doing kind of like in a data-driven way you can kind of categorize you know all those use cases so you know uh, people telling you that they like your they like the keysmart because it saves space in their pocket, and people saying that they like the keysmart because it prevents them from jingling, and people you know saying that they like the keysmart because uh, it prevents them from getting poked in the legs. Uh, but then as you go down, there might be some people that are saying, "I like the keysmart because it keeps my keys in the right in the same spot, and so then I always know which key you know I can open the door with." You know that that's a, you know kind of a lower down on the value proposition level because you just might not have had as many people report it as like a, as a key value proposition, um, and you know, your emails or whatever. Um, so 
you'll just discover that there are a bunch that you haven't, you know, ever made an ad about or ever really wrote copy about, you know, a bunch of just use cases that are, have, have come to you. And you might find that as you start to, to go deeper down and, you know, you're spending money to make video ads that demonstrate these things, uh, you might find that they're just not real, that they're only a small subset of your customers actually care about those things. And it's not going to move the needle on like new customer, a new customer acquisition. Um, so that's kind of what I mean. It's just, Really, you know, you kind of you, you kind of exhausted the the top reasons that people say that they like your product, and now you're having to dig deeper for you know for new reasons, or maybe just yeah. So that's kind of it. Mm-hmm. Well, what are some examples of of like is a more emotional message that you could put into an advertising at an advertisement? Uh, more emotional. Well, you know, trying to go for that like that deeper message of you know why do you so you know why do you actually like these like why do you actually need a key smart right. Um, you, you might say that it's just space in your pocket, but does that really mean you know, um, that you like to be, you know, a minimalist and you like to just, mm. you know, have the minimal amount of things and be, you know, nimble or be, you know, um, just be able to be free. Right. So as you kind of can go into more, you know, more emotional, like it's like not like they always describe it as, you know, there's a practical reason why you use it, but then what's the, you know, what's the deeper reason that you're looking for. Right. Um, and so for some products it's, um, you know, for a lot of fashion brands and stuff like that, it's like, Oh, I like this product. But what you're really looking to say is, you know, I, you know, I'm this kind of person or I'm trying trying to attract this kind of person. So with KeySmart, it really is, you know, it's more of a novelty item that you're, you're not, we're not going like super deep on these like kind of more emotional, you know, deep branded connections. Like when you think about an Apple product, you think, oh, you know, joy and happiness because they've, you know, they, they kind of take over the airways with these really creative, you know, nice looking ads that really make them seem like they're just like, you know, the greatest, you know, most stylish company. Um, for us, as we've done more stuff like that, where it's more abstract, uh, it hasn't worked from a direct response angle, and we just don't have like the um, the underlying business that can like really afford to spend tons of money on branding without receiving you know those direct response dollars back. Got it. So you're shifting from this practical reason, a practical value prop, to how, how to, to asking to getting the the customer to ask themselves, how can this product help define me, or how can it help define the type of person I want to be? If you can, if you if you can, should you always try to go for the more emotional messaging, especially early on, like right from the beginning, or do you recommend people go for more of the is the practical uh, value prop, like the way that you guys approached it? Uh, I mean, I definitely recommend the, you know, the direct response, more practical approach. Uh, like the, the emotional approach is, is definitely something that can work. It's, we haven't honestly been able to make that work for us very well. It's always been like the very much more direct demonstration ads that really show, like show the problem. Uh, it's, it's the old saying, like the problem agitates solve ads. So you, you show the problem, then you add, you show the problem that someone would have if they didn't have your product. You agitate those problems, you know, by showing like how bad it would be if you didn't have it, and then you solve a product and everything's great. Um, and those ads have worked really well for us. And you know, we make we make them nice and we make them branded, and they're you know they're fun and they're good. They're good videos. They're not you know just like straight direct direct response ads, which are you know seem a little bit more gimmicky. Um, but so that's being said, like on the emotional side, you really need to have. Um, you know, you need to have a lot of investment dollars in your brand in order to make, in order to kind of 
spend enough to get that message out there that that your product is is really known for this emotional value value point. So it really to start, it's really difficult if you're going to start with like emotional ads that don't really demonstrate why someone would like your product um, in a really obvious way. So for for smaller businesses that are starting out, I definitely recommend that you start with a very direct response heavy, um, you know, you just you you create your ads to really explain why somebody would want your product um, and do things like, you know, copy overlays that really explain, you know, why you would benefit from this product. Um, and as you get further and further away from that, it becomes more difficult to show an ROI. And those that can work for bigger brands as you grow, but it's just it's more of a branded effect that you're looking for a kind of like a halo effect rather than something that you're looking for a direct, you know, direct revenue from if that makes sense that, that makes sense and it's usually probably a, a longer term uh, investment where you're putting a lot of money up front but you might not recoup that for a long time and for a lot of businesses that that kind of dried up cash flow is is not going to to, to uh, help them last long so when it comes to the direct response copy where you're showing them the problem here's our solution why our solution is the best or why our solution w- will benefit you that's the approach that you guys are going with and you've discovered that because this works Let's expand this outside the U.S. and let's go international. So, is that the the approach that you decide to move forward with? Yeah, I mean, we we really tried everything. So we you know we tried making you know more emotional ads, tried making you know different you know just making the same ads but just different from different viewpoints and all the kinds of things. Um, and really, the biggest thing that we had the success with was internationalization uh, because we're really just taking the messaging that's tried and true and bringing it across the world. Um, and Facebook is really great for you know international advertising and. Um, you know, if you have a product that you can ship anywhere and you have Shopify hosts, the, you know, the site seamlessly around the world. Uh, so, it, yeah, internationalization really was kind of like the silver bullet that that has, uh, you know, allowed us to you know keep finding new customers. And really, you know, I think that the, the stat is that, you know, only 13 percent of sales happen in the in the nor- in North America. So if you're you know, not advertising internationally, then you're kind of leaving leaving 87 percent of the world untouched. Mm. So where did you guys go first? You got to go first to the English speaking countries. So the UK, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, um, Ireland are all good international, uh, good. They're like good, rich countries that all speak English. So you don't have to really, you don't have to do any translation. Um, and I recommend downloading the, the bold multi-currency app. It's free and it'll make it so that when people, um, like land on your page, they'll see it in currency. Uh, we noticed a huge drop off if people didn't see, uh, the prices in currency. So yeah, I would always recommend that people uh, download that bold app and then start with English speaking countries like the UK, Australia, New Zealand, Ireland, and Canada. What was the first uh, non-English speaking country that you guys went to? Uh, I So I went to you know, Spain, Italy. Um, I just went everywhere in Europe. Um, and Spain and Italy worked really well. Germany didn't work well for us. Um, we had kind of a distributor thing going on, so I wasn't allowed to, to advertise in France. Um, and then who else did, you know, so then I, I literally, those worked. And so I literally just went to every country in Europe and this was an untranslated website as well. And I just went down the list of top GDP per capita countries. I study economics. So it was like the, the gross domestic product, you know, divided by the number of people. So you're just seeing how much money people have in each, each country. And I was going all the way down to, you know, Malaysia and Indonesia um, so I've advertised pretty much like in every, you know, not, not every country in the world, but in most, uh, 
most countries. And it, you know, it, it honestly worked in places that you would never, you know, never really think of, you know, places like Brazil where, you know, Brazil is decently rich, um, but it is still kind of, uh, it's not fully developed. Uh, but you'll find that you'll get like six or seven clicks on face, six or seven cent, uh, you know, cost per click on Facebook. Um, and while sometimes your conversion rate isn't as high, um, the clicks are just so cheap that it's worth it. Got it. Now, how do you get the translation right? How do you make sure all the advertising and, and do you also do internationalization for, for the site itself? Yeah. Okay. So that was a big jump for us. Uh, like I did advertise everywhere in English, um, internationally and, you know, it worked pretty well, but you know, you, you'd start to see that, that the ads would stop working. Um, and I wanted to turn my ads and, you know, I wanted to translate my ads. Um, uh, but I didn't have like our website translated. So I couldn't actually figure out how to translate the website. Google translate was pretty poor. Um, you know, it sounds like you have like a foreign robot that translated your website instead of a real person. Um, so what we ended up doing was we downloaded the Languify app on Shopify. Um, Languify is like a, you know, it basically download it and it, it takes your website and turns it into like this, what's called a PO file. And it just basically like takes your website and, and turns it into English strings so you can send it off to a human translator. Um, so we were able to get the, the website translated using Languify and then a team of, you know, na- like, you know, native translators, you know, from all over the world. Um, I think we had like 12 different languages or 11 different languages at the time. And so we had we had our, our you know, all our, you know, our Facebook videos, our Facebook videos didn't have voice voices in them. So they just had text. So we got all the text translated. We translated the ad copy and then we translated the website using Languify and natural language translators. Um, and then you could even you should probably even translate your, you know, abandoned cart emails and welcome Siri emails. Um, so that was honestly, it was a huge pain in the butt. Uh, we, you know, took forever to figure out how to, how to get Languify to work and how to work through it. And then there were, we you know, were trying things and it wasn't working, blah, blah, blah. Um, then figured out, took a while to even figure out how to use a PO file, um, which is like what you Languify gives you. But eventually we got everything working and we got the actual everything translated, the videos translated, everything uploaded to Facebook. And we turned on the ads and it just went like bonkers. Uh, you know, we were in language in every country all at the same time. And, you know, places like Germany who didn't work at all before were now working really, really well. Um, and so it was just, uh, um, you know, and you, you, you get like really good, uh, sometimes you get really good return on, on in- investment in those translations because like take Germany, for example, once you translate your website into German, now you can, tra- now you can run ads in Germany, Austria, you know, Switzerland, um, like what's the other one, like Liechtenstein or something. There's like five different countries in, in Europe where people do speak German. Um, so you, you know, when you, and they kind of all speak, you know, similar languages. Um, anyways, if you can get Italian, Spanish, French, and German, then you're going to open up a huge amount of possibilities, uh, for running ads around the world. Got it. Now, what about the logistics? How do you make sure that, that you're able to, to get all the shipping set up and everything to deliver to all these countries? Yeah, that's so. That's a difficult part too. Um, that's obviously the first step in making sure that you can go international. We already had um, we had our we have a warehouse, so we already had the ability to ship internationally. We um, we found a company called Ascendia Mail, uh, who um, they're partnered with a Swiss. I think the Swiss Post actually owns them. Um, so that's who we use for our international mailings, and they charge us. You know, um, you know, we actually get really good rates. Honestly, like five dollars a. a Five dollars a shipment, almost anywhere in the world, I think, is what our rate is. Um, so it's so for us, we had like reasonable rates. We had a decent amount of 
we had a decent amount of traffic already going to internationally because the, the Kickstarter was not just in the U S it was kind of, it had some international traction. Um, so we were able to take, we were able to, to negotiate pretty good rates internationally and our product is, is decently small. Um, it doesn't weigh that much. So, you know, some people are going to find, you know, if you're selling grills or something like that, you have like a hundred pound grill, you know, you, this might not even be an option for you because the, the cost of shipping is just going to be, um, prohibitive. Uh, but you know, if you have a three PL, I know some people work some people who work out of Shipmunk or um, Easy Post, or you can ask your three PL for uh, you know for their shipping rates internationally. Um, if you have a if you have a warehouse, then you just need to contact um, you know shipping company. But if you don't have a like a long history of shipping internationally, you might not get very good rates. So um, kind of like a chicken chicken and the egg kind of thing. So Right. Has there been a country or a language that you've targeted that hasn't been worth the investment yet? Yeah, some of like the uh the more northern European um countries weren't to, so uh yeah, like if I were to look at like uh like when we translated into Finnish, uh like or like Finland is uh that wasn't I think we probably made our money back. Um but the, there was a technological problem with the product. So a lot of people have what are called mortise keys in Finland. So they're mm-hmm. like these big, long keys that you would imagine in like a, you know, like a fairy tale. Yeah. Um, and they just don't, they just don't fit on the key smart. Um, so you, you ran, we ran into a couple technological problems where people are just like, this doesn't work. Um, and for that, we were, we, we, you know, we translated, we ran the ads, we started seeing Facebook posts and emails. We translated those and, you know, people were just posting that it didn't work. Um, you know, you, we might've been able to do a little bit of research beforehand to figure it out, but I mean, you know, it's, it's it honestly somewhat difficult to figure out if, you know, if your product works in every country in the world as well. Were there any unexpected, uh, challenges with going international that, that you guys ran into? Uh, yeah. I mean, um, I'd say, it, you know, it's such a huge, it's kind of like a, it was such a huge opportunity and it really did so much for our, our revenues. But then it almost became like a prison, to tell you the truth, like the, you know, it went from me just having to think in English and have to think about, you know, my workflows of just, you know, creating new ads and creating new marketing materials and changing the website to now I had to think about, you know, I have to add in a translation service with all of this stuff. Um, so it was kind of like, you know, it took a lot of my focus off creating new marketing materials in English and I shifted my focus to basically trying to juggle this new translation thing because it, it, you know, basically lengthen all of our processes um, and just made it just more complicated. So yeah, that was our biggest problem was just like time and just having to think about, you know, how is, you know, how is that now appearing in the new language? Because it might've been broken when we actually changed the site and we didn't change the, you know, the language by translation yet, you know, same thing. All right. So does copy like on the ads itself, does it translate that well between languages or do you, have you tried now like starting a copy like from scratch in that language? Now that's a really good question. Um, it, it does translate pretty well. Um, generally, uh, you, you have to have like an experienced copywriter who really, who can really understand the strings. Um, it's like sometimes if you have slang, uh, that can get mm-hmm. really badly. Um, you know, just, you know, I like to, to the, uh, um, the example I always give is I live in Chicago and I call a, you know, a, a Coca-Cola, a pop. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's kind of like a Midwestern thing. Uh, and it's a little bit of like dialect. And if I go out to New York or somewhere else, people will say, you know, like if I say pop, they'll kind of look at me like I'm a funny Midwesterner. Soda. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So in, instead, um, like you have to have a copywriter that can really understand it. And we communicate with our copywriters. So I've kind of, we've built out a team 
of you know international copywriters that are native to each language and are native to each country uh, generally um, that were that you know the, the main country that we're trying to target. And you just have to have a good relationship with them, and they'll they'll send messages back and forth if they don't understand something. So sometimes you have to explain to them, like, oh, this is what that meant, or this is what you know. But generally speaking, as long as you have you know decent copywriters, they'll be able to um, they'll be able to work with you to to like to get it. Um, they'll be work, able to work with you in order to to get your Languify uh, translated. Now, if we weren't using Languify and we were using Shopify's. Um, like if we just made a different instance for each store, which we're kind of starting to do, but then you have to, you have, you know, basically have to manage like 10 different stores. Mm -hmm. Uh, then it would make more sense to just start from scratch with translation because you're not trying to like juggle everything in the same format, if that makes sense. Right. So when you're looking for these copywriters or people that are translating the copy for you into their, their language, their English has to also be like very proficient or what is the threshold there? Yeah, yeah, you want their English to be really, to really good. So, if you, I mean, you were, we generally just start the interviews with just a, you know, like a Skype call with them um, to see if they can understand. You know, if they, you know, if it's if it's if it's very difficult for them to communicate with you, it's probably not going to be a very good relationship. Um, so, lots of times there are people who have spent time in the United States. Um, maybe they studied here and they have a very strong grasp of, of you know English in their in their country, and they usually have. Um, like they usually understand like cultural context too, because they've been here before. Um, so it's, we're usually looking for people who really understand uh, like the U S pretty well and understand their home country. Got it. So when it comes to, is it Facebook ads that have been the biggest driver of traffic and sales to, to the, to the store? Yes. Yes. Facebook ads, uh, have definitely been the biggest uh, driver of traffic to our store and probably most, most Shopify stores. So, yeah. Now what, what's your strategy? How do you guys begin uh, the path of like starting a new Facebook ad campaign? What do you guys think about first? Um, it's, you know, now we think about creative first. Um, you know, creative really is the thing that, uh, that, uh, will make the difference for your ad. Um, so for us, we're, you know, we're a gadget company. So we have to really kind of figure out, you know, what are the value propositions that we're trying to get across to our customer and how are we going to demonstrate them? Uh, I was just listening to, I can't remember the name of the guy, but he was, he was talking about starting up an anime uh, t-shirt company and like his ad strategies, he was a past guest in your store, like his ad strategy is going to be like total. Yeah, Segoy shirts. So it was, it was a good episode. But uh, like the way he would think about uh, creative is totally different than us because it's really a design and he's kind of showing just showing out the design. So for us, we're really thinking about, you know, how can we actually demonstrate how it will be how your life will be worse if you don't have this product? And, we you know, we want to be like a gloom and doom kind of thing. But we really want you to feel that if I don't have this product, that things are going to be worse for me. Like, so I should buy it today. Um, so we're really trying to think about we're just selling, selling keychains, so we don't really get into like, oh, you know, life's going to be horrible, you know what I mean? But it's more just like, imagine, you know, if you lost your keys, you know, and you couldn't find them and you had to look for them all day, you know, now you can get a key smart that has the tile location tracker in it and you wouldn't have that problem. Is it like tongue in cheek or do you really try to drive that like knife into them to make sure they really feel the pain? Definitely tongue in cheek. Yeah. So, I mean, okay. we're not, you know, we're not having like the, it's not like the the infomercial style where it's, you know, things look really shady. And, mm -hmm. uh, so we, you know, we do things like, you know, you're locked out and, you know, you know, just kind of comical, like, you know, representations, but we do really do want to get across the point, like that near locked out, it does stink. And, you know, if you could get a key smart and that wouldn't happen. Um, but we do really, we do want to show, you know, even if we, it is like a fun, uh, phone, fun toned ad, we do want to demonstrate, you know, what the problem would be if you didn't have this, right? So, but at the same time, if you think about it, there's really not 
a real serious way that you could talk about like getting poked in the legs. Um, you know, or, you know, our most more value properties are just, you know, kind of fun anyways. So, yeah, it's, it's a very, uh, I guess, um, gray area, not gray area. It's a very thin line right between creating an ad to show them the, the pure benefit versus showing them an ad that will show them that if they don't get this product, their life will be worse without it, which I think is an important point to point out is that the agitation is stronger, right? When you when you approach it that way, where you, people almost feel urgent to, to buy this thing today. Otherwise, their life is already you know subpar to what it could be in the in the ad that you showed. So what are what are some ways that 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 you you think about creating the creative to to demonstrate that? Um, that's a really good question. So for us, like I said, the uh, you know really can't go too deep into agitating problems. But I think a, a really good company to look at is like pur- Purple Mattresses. Um, they're all their their ads are done by uh, the Harmon Brothers, which is a really uh, like really awesome um, video ad company. Um, that are, like it's impossible to work with them because they have so many people that want to work with them. They did like poopery and uh, you know squatty potty and basically I, I recommend looking at, at their ads because uh, they do a really good job of capturing attention. Uh, like you see it and you're like, oh wow, what's that? And they really really dive into these dem- like really elaborate demonstrations that show you know really, really show why you'd want the product. And so if, if you're sitting here and you're thinking about like, well, you know, show me what this problem agitate solve for me, watch their ad and you'll see very clearly like what the problems would be if you didn't have a mattress and why you'd want one. And you'll probably, by the end of watching that ad, you'll probably want one. Um, <laughs> so really, really what you need to think about is like really one of the most important things, um, and the people who made Purple will talk about this, they just came out with a course. And so like, how are we gonna capture their attention in some way that's going to be that we can transition into talking about the problems and the value propositions. Um, so you know that and it's very it's honestly difficult to do with capturing attention. Our original ad captured attention just with a you know just kind of like a you know um, just like a, a you know a um, like a question that we asked with copy and it was said you know how how often do you think about your keys or something? Have you ever thought about your keys? And most people probably hadn't thought about their keys. So that alone just kind of kept them listening. And then we translated into, you know, or we transitioned into, you know, all the value, you know, all the problems and all the value propositions. Um, but, you know, Purple or, you know, Harmon Brothers really capture attention through really creative set designs and costumes and stuff like that. And it's it's honestly probably more expensive than most Shopify mm-hmm. stores um, could afford. But so you kind of want to fall and you just really have to think about, you know, what's either a creative piece of copy or some costumes or a set or a scenario that would really work well to capture attention that would then transition into showing off my problem. So your, your video ads today, are they done in-house? Yes, they're done in-house. We have a uh, videographer, Keith, and then uh, script writer, Alyssa, who, uh, you know, Alyssa spends a lot of her time, you know, researching, you know, taking new products and figuring out why, you know, why people say they like them and then trying to figure out ads, you know, trying to trying to write that into, you know, value propositions that we can turn into a video ad. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's pretty, it's honestly pretty in-depth. And um, we've had a lot of like really big successes and then, you know, other ads that we spent a lot of time and money on that, you know, that we thought were going to be a, a huge success that really just amounted to really not much. Right, that's the hard thing with video ads, right? When it, when you first start with back in the day when it was mostly, you know, to, I guess it's still today, like text-based, like PPC advertising, it's a lot easier to A-B test and switch things around and then got a little bit more difficult with, with photos and images and now it becomes even more difficult and more expensive to A-B test and switch things around with video ads. How do you guys make sure that you can dial it down, dial in as much as possible, like maybe through testing or some other kind of research to make sure that you have the right kind of messaging in the video ad without wasting too much time? 
time going through iterations? Uh, I mean, it's a lot of, it's a lot of, you know, doing your initial upfront research to, like we talked about with value propositions to make sure that you have the value propositions that people are saying that, you know, the real reasons why people love your product. Um, and then figuring out how to demonstrate those, you know, just thinking about like, you know, okay, I have a value proposition. This is what everybody's saying. They like it. You know, what are the ways we can demonstrate this value proposition? Um, like demonstrate how this would solve this problem. You know, they always kind of talk about it in the first step is like how, how it helped them. So you want to say, you know, let's, let's demonstrate how this product would help you do something. And then you kind of, and we take it a step further and say, you know, you know, how could we demonstrate what life would be like if you didn't have this problem yet or kind of create the problem? Um, so yeah, it's, it's just thinking about like the, like really that it's really doing research to figure mm-hmm. out what value proposition you want to tackle. And then how can we, how can we really visually show it? Um, but other than that, it's just a lot of, you know, kind of like gut instinct. Cause you really don't know what's going to work until you try it, you know? Yeah. So I guess in your case, you guys have that research through feedback from your customers for other people that might not have as large of a customer base yet. Maybe just seeing what works with your, with your image ads that the, the ads that are much cheaper swap around and then try to understand what the value prop that was successful ads are doing before you invest the time in trying to, to recreate that value prop with something more expensive, like a, like a video ad. So I want to talk a little about the, the website. So is this website also done in-house or do you guys have a design team that works on it? I, most of the stuff is done in-house now, although it was built by, agent, by an agency and a lot, of, a lot of our updates originally were done by an agency. Now probably like 90% of the work is done in-house. And if we need something done, we, uh, ask, you know, that's beyond our, you know, our scope of work. Uh, we usually ask either cycle or another, another agency. Got it. What's your favorite page or part of the website? Uh, favorite page, um, probably the um, you know the landing page we made for the KeySmart Pro. So about a year ago, we we teamed up with Tile to make a new KeySmart, and we call it the KeySmart Pro. It's got a location tracker in it. You should buy it. Go go buy it now. Um, no, uh, we made a landing page, uh, and it's it's slash uh, locate You can find it, uh, and it's just a little bit um, a little bit of a custom page. It it. Um, it, you know, it's got a, a nice video at the top. And um, if you scroll down, it's got, you know, quantity breaks that, uh, you know, guide people to, you know, purchase more than one KeySmart Pro. So we find a lot of people buy, you know, two or three KeySmart Pros and then buy accessories for each one. Um, so that's really been able to increase our average order value. Um, so that, that's probably our, and we did design it in-house and, um, and developed it in-house. So, um, so yeah, that's probably uh, my favorite, uh, my favorite page. I think um, landing pages, like specific landing pages for for products, uh, they especially the ones that you're really pushing for a launch or one of your flagship products, makes a lot of sense. What do you think is important to go into a landing page to make it effective in, in the sense that it's effective in converting visitors? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I think the start is uh, uh, obviously the like the trust badges that you, people want to see when you, they come on to see like your you know your third party if you've been on any kind of uh, any TV shows or websites or, or any, you've had any influencers show, um, something that just shows, or just, you just have some kind of, um, you know, um, customer testimonials, something that really shows that people like your product. Uh, I think having all of our PR links above the fold, um, was a de- definitely a big difference maker for us. Uh, if you don't have any PR mentions cause you're uh, just starting out then, um, you know, maybe, maybe moving, uh, you know, some, some blog, you know, some blogs you've been featured in or moving in some like some just single customer testimonials in that position might work just as well. Got it. Any applications that oh, I just see that you're using a few applications on their website, any ones that, that you really uh, are a, a big fan of? 
Yeah, uh, I really like ultimate uh, ultimate special offers. Um, it allows you to just make uh, you know really easy to use. You know, buy one get ones or buy two get ones, and uh, also just like all different kinds of special offers. Um, and it's available in the, in the app store. Got it. Any kind of configuration on that particular application that works well? Like you're, you're, it sounds like you're bundling products together. Like, have you played around with what kinds of combinations work best? Uh, I mean, it really depends on what kind of what you're selling. But uh, you know, for us, we just do you know take a key smart and take a different couple of accessories and then bundle them together and um, you know launch it as an you know email blast it as a sale. Or something like that um, is really what we've done. You know, before we were running, before we were creating new bundles as a new product within Shopify, and it became kind of a he- headache because we'd have to like message the shipping team, and they'd have to kind of figure out what you know how they were gonna you know assemble that, and you know they'd have to notify all the people on the shipping team who were packing that there was this new bundle. Um, so just being able to add in these you know kind of special offers and it really just allows you to bundle any way you would want um, has been a big help for us. Got it. Thank you so much for your time, Annie. So getkeysmart.com is the website. Where do you guys want to take the business next? Well, we have a, a new backpack coming out um, and we're, you know, we're working with a, a couple different licensees. Uh, so maybe getting some uh, different brands on the KeySmart. So I can't really speak to any right now. Um, one that I'm pretty sure that we're going to, we're going to move forward with is or Mossy Oak is like this, uh, um, this camouflage brand that we're going to move forward with and probably also going to move forward with, um, the Marines, so having like a, a you know a Marine branded key smart, um, and move into like the Armed Forces as well as some some TV shows and stuff like that. So because uh, the key smart really is like a it's like an open canvas and it's something that gets used every day. Um, so we can kind of paint that canvas with whatever brand you know whatever kind of brand loyalty that people like. Um, so that's kind of an interesting um, cool opportunity that we have and all different kinds of things that everyday carry uh, you know our everyday carry audience likes. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Andy. Thank, thank you so much, Felix. Here's a sneak peek for what's in store in the next Shopify Masters episode. I know that there's always space for a new dropshippers. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify. To get your exclusive 30-day extended trial, visit shopify.com slash masters.